everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. I'm here to bring you BFW's Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This show, however, will be a combination with our preview show for the weekend's match against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Because it's been such a condensed schedule this week with the PSG Champions League match on Tuesday, we didn't want to just continue to hammer you with podcasts this week. So we combine the preview into the weekend warm-up just to make it a little bit easier for our listeners to try and keep up with everything. I've probably had too much coffee today, which is normally the case every day. I think every day I drink nothing but coffee and water all day until like dinner. And then maybe I'll have like a watered down like cup, like half Gatorade, half water. That's pretty much it. And then, you know, that does not include any beers I may consume. But I have not been drinking during the week for a bit unless there's an occasion to do so. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, if there's a good game on or something, I will kick back and relax with one. But uh, I've been pretty busy at nights, so I have not been able to do that. Uh, but I do think I want to work some beers into the rotation this weekend because, to be honest, uh, missing them. So, um, <laughs> like I said, we are going to do the preview show, and that's how I'll kick this one off. After we hit the preview, we will go through some of the big topics of the week, which, of course, uh, there are many to talk about. And I do want to get you my thoughts on Byron's win over PSG as well. So uh, let's get it started with the preview of Bayern Munich versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. I expect this to be a pretty good one. The Jan Summer Derby. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to quite see that big of a match. But Borussia Mönchengladbach is a club that's kind of in a tailspin. They're not really going anywhere at this point. Uh, losing Summer, I think, was a a it was one of those moves when it happens in the middle of the season. It's not something that's going to boost the team by any means. So. Uh, I think that hurt them a little bit. They have not been really all that good this season at all. And uh, Bayern Munich, for once against Gladbeck, should be the prohibitive favorite. But let's take a look at where each team is in the table. Bayern Munich is in first place through 20 match days. They have 12 wins, 7 draws, 1 loss. That's good for 43 points. They have 59 goals for 18 against. Over the last five games, Bayern Munich has two wins and three draws. Last week was a 3-0 victory over VfL Bochum, which, of course, we all remember because it was the last Bundesliga match before Bayern took on PSG. And Bayern was looking to get some momentum continued and keep everything going forward, and they did against Bochum, and that's all we needed to see because it did parlay over into that PSG match. As for Mönchengladbach, they are residing in 10th place, which I'm sure our dear Samarin is lamenting every day. Through 20 match days, they have seven wins, five draws, eight losses. That's good for 26 points, which ties them with both FC Köln and Mainz. Uh, we could see a lot of movement between uh, anywhere, really, from the 8th to 12th positions. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen is a team, in my mind, that's on the rise, even though their most recent results haven't been so great. Uh, they are in eighth place with 27 points. Werder Bremen is in ninth place, uh, which I'm sure Marco Polo is is totally unhappy about. They also have 27 points. So I think we'll see some movement somewhere uh, in that range. Those teams from really 8 to 12 could go up and down and all over in the second half of this season. But Mönchengladbach, their last five games, they have 
One win, one draw, and three losses. Last week was a really embarrassing blowout loss to Hertha Berlin by a score of 4-1. Uh, Gladback is not the kind of team right now that I think is going to instill a lot of fear into anyone. It doesn't mean that they don't have talent. They absolutely do. But right now, it's just not all coming together. Uh, and let's be honest. I mean, you lose summer, that's a big that's a big problem. Uh, you've got transfer rumors all over Marcus Turam, who I would anticipate leaves this summer for sure. Uh, but it's not like the team is devoid of talent by any means. I mean, there are good, talented players throughout this roster. And it's a shame that they can't seem to get things going in the right direction. I mean, just looking at some of the names, you can say, Turam, you have Alisson Playa. Patrick Herman, Julian Weigel, Lars Stindl, Florian Neuhaus, Christoph Kramer, Jonas Hoffman, Joe Scally, Luca Nets, Stefan Leiner. I mean, this is not a bad roster. I mean, you could go to Remy Bensibani and Nico Alvetti as well. This is a good team, but they just, for whatever reason this season, have not been able to get on track. I think there have been a lot of distractions. It would not shock me if at some point, in the second half of the season, Gladback finally begins to, to work together to get in sync and mounts a little bit of a push to get up into that seventh or eighth place area. But I don't know if this is just one of those seasons where things never get off the ground for them, or if this is something where we might see a late rally and see them really pull together and build some momentum heading in the next season. To me, it's impossible to tell. I have had no read on this team. I know they've been a frustrating watch for their entire fan base. So what I would expect them from them this week is to come out and fight hard, of course. But I think Bayern Munich's talent and depth will probably be a little overwhelming, especially for against a team that really has not gotten on the same page all season. As for Bayern Munich, Julian Nagelsmann is going to have some interesting choices, as he always seems to do uh, with every game. I think coming out of PSG, a couple of things were evident. I think Jamal Musiala is is a little bit beat up and needs some rest. Uh, it's always one of those things with Musiala where I wonder, you know, given his slight frame, um, and, and again, I've said this a million times, I, I don't care if he's that slight because the way he moves on the pitch I think it works better with that kind of life skinny frame. Now, it doesn't mean he can't get stronger, that he can't use weights. I just don't think he needs to really bulk up that much because I think how he moves and the way he is able to move using his body, it all is so much more effective at that with that kind of physique. So I'm not someone that's going to sit here and tell you he needs to, to you know, go on the Leon Goretzka plan, but I will say, probably needs to get a little bit stronger just to withstand some of the punishment. I just don't want him to necessarily uh, start to get bigger to the point where he can't move as well, or he loses some of that burst. And yes, I am well aware that just because he might put on muscle or put on weight does not mean he will slow down. I trust me. I have been working. I, I, I played college sports. I've been working in sports in one form or another for almost 30 years. I get it. You can be a powerful, strong athlete and still be exceptionally explosive and fast. I'm not saying one will lead to the other. I'm just saying for how Musiala's game works, 
I like the way he is able to move the shiftiness, the way he uses body fakes and how it, it really never allows a defender to get set. And I think it's one of those things that's really overlooked. His body is going a million different directions when he goes to make a move. <laughs> and then whichever direction he decides to go in, typically the defender has no idea and is caught just just pausing for a split second that allows Musiala to go by. And I think that is key for him. But either way, I do think he could use some rest. I don't know if we're going to see that because Nagelsmann apparently has a hashtag Musiala always plays uh, kind of philosophy these days. So, so we'll see. So if I had to take a run at predicting some of this, I do think, you know, it's a good weekend to get some substitutes in. I think when you look at the upcoming schedule for Bayern Munich, there are a couple of key games coming up that I don't think you want to necessarily go out and start to run down your your the upper end of your roster and wear them out. After Gladbach, I think, you know, you look at Union Berlin, which again, this is however you feel about Union and what their realistic chances are of winning the league. They are one of the best teams in the league this season, and they're playing with a lot of spirit. They're playing with a lot of determination. After that, they do have Stuttgart, which really honestly shouldn't be that difficult of a game. Sorry, Jason, York, wherever you are. And then we will see them play PSG again. But there's a little bit of time before Bayern will hook up with PSG again on March 8th. So when I look at this, I do think it's a good opportunity to rest some players. What will Nagelsmann do? I don't know. But I do think we'll see Jan Sommer and that. I think we are going to continue to see the back three. And I think that Nagelsmann is going to want to continue to develop this back three. because I think he likes it. I think it's working out for him. I think he likes what it offers. And we will definitely touch on this in a little bit with some of the other subjects we have. But I think we'll see Delict, Upamakano, and Benjamin Pavar. Uh, especially given Pavar picking up that red card in the Champions League, knowing he won't be available the first week of March. I think we're going to see him get quite a bit of playing time between now and then just to help keep some of the other players fresh. Uh, at midfield, this is, again, this is an opportunity where we could see Nagelsmann sit Goretzka. I doubt he will sit Kimmich because nobody ever sits Kimmich. So I think we could see Gravenberg step in and get some minutes. Uh, ideally, I would like to see someone step in for Musiala. I just don't know if that's going to happen. So within that trio of midfielders, however you want to classify them, uh, I do think we'll see Kimmich, Gravenberg, and Musiala. Somehow, uh, I do think we're going to see Thomas Muller as well. I don't know if that will be at the expense of Chupo yet, um, but <laughs> it, it's so difficult to tell which direction that that Nagelsmann is going to go in from game to game. Uh, I know that Thomas Muller's status on the team has been quite the sticking point for many people. And to me, I think you have to look at it this way. I still feel like Thomas Muller is one of the best 11 players on the squad. Um, And why he's not getting the opportunity at this point I don't know if it's partly Nagelsmann trying to keep him fresh or get him back healthy after picking up a knock last weekend, but I do think there's some sentiment within the coaching staff that they need to start to make the transition away from Thomas Muller and this older generation. Um, And if that means that he's going to play less over the course of this season, I think it's going to have some ill effects on the squad. So uh, to me, I do think that, 
Mueller has a place. I think he absolutely can still get things done. But it's not going to be necessarily very easy for him to get that playing time that I think that most people would be inclined to give him at this stage. So it's it's going to be tough. But if you're a Mueller fan, I get your frustration. And uh, I'm with you on that. I do think he should be playing. But it, it's absolutely not going to uh, to be an easy pathway forward for him. So with that, we have those three midfield possessions with Graven Burke, Kimmich, and Musiala. We have those three defender positions with the Licht, Upamakano, and Pavar. We have Jan Summer in that, so that gives us seven. I think we'll see Muller as the eighth player working in some kind of combination with Chupo to be our ninth. And then at the wing back spots, I think we're going to see Kingsley Coman again and probably Jao Cancelo, although I would not be shocked to see Alfonso Davies and Coman play those wing back spots. What this means is that Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry are going to be left out. Uh, Sané to me has not been great of late. Gnabry has been a roller coaster as he seems to always be. So uh, this Bayern Munich lineup won't look conventional. It probably won't play conventionally, but that seems to be working for Julian Nagelsmann at this point. As far as a prediction goes, I will say Bayern Munich will win the match 3 uh, 1. I think Jan Sommer is going to be out to prove something. And I think that Bayern Munich is building up some confidence. They're building up some cohesion. And it is starting to get to the point, which I know I've doubted at times, that Nagelsmann is starting to be able to insert players into roles. And we're starting to see that seamless style of play that just hadn't been there earlier in the season. Now it seems like he's able to use some interchangeable parts, even in different formations, and get a lot out of them. But this is a key match for Bayern. And while I am picking a victory, it is a match that represents some danger. Gladbach is a team that needs wins. They are a team that, despite the fact they've been up and down, still have a a better talent level than their record would indicate. So, it's a dangerous match. That said, I think Bayern Munich has, has built that momentum up. I think they'll continue to ride that wave, and I'm predicting that Bayern Munich victory. So that will wrap up the preview portion of this. As far as the rest of the weekend warm-up goes, I'm going to give you some quick thoughts on Bayern versus PSG and some of the key things that I thought about. Uh, obviously, the turning point in the match for everyone was – Kylian Mbappe coming in and changing the course of what PSG looked like they might be able to be in the next leg as opposed to what they were in that first one. Uh, I thought Bayern Munich played pretty well. I don't think they were dominant in the first half. I loved what I saw out of some of the players. Um, Some of the others I, I didn't like as much. I did not see a lot out of Musiala and Sané. Again, with Musiala, I think he's just been beat up. I think he's physically a little wrecked. I think he's mentally taxed a little bit, and he could use a reboot. Uh, With the good things that I saw, I loved what I saw out of Benjamin Pavar. And I I know he ultimately his behavior resulted in a red card late in the match. But I always think about when I was a kid, and I would watch the Flyers and the Washington Capitals play, and I hated Dale Hunter. I hated everything about that guy. I had no reason to hate him, but he was the biggest jerk on the Capitals. Cheap shot, hit you after the play, instigate fights, dirty penalties, everything. And honestly, that's the role that Benjamin Pavar played <laughs> against PSG, and it worked. 
he had Neymar thinking about everything but scoring. And I wrote that in my little recap in the Daily Schmuck Girl afterwards. But I thought it was really evident and really important because on a day where Kylian Mbappe was not starting, on a day where Lionel Messi is is frankly like was not looking like the Lionel Messi that all of us have known over the years. Neymar was distracted after he took a hit from Pavar that did not result in a yellow card. Neymar proceeded to then take out Yashua Kimmich with a forearm to the face. Then he took out Benjamin Pavar with a little bit of revenge. And even as Pavar left the pitch at the end of the match, it is <laughs> one of the reports I saw that Neymar was yelling at him that he's crazy. If Pavar is that much in Neymar's head, he did his job. Now, there was a price to pay for it. Pavar will not be available for the next round, so it will probably change how Bayern Munich sets itself up. But I think Pavar is showing that he is definitely a defender that's capable of playing at that elite level. He is someone that's not scared to mix it up, which is kind of funny because when you look at Benjamin Pavar, you're not looking at him and thinking badass, right? Like he just looks like your normal average dude. But he played with an edge in that match. He has done that before. And I think that sometimes if you want to have a knock against Bayern Munich, they don't always play with that kind of edge. They don't have that kind of player that keeps the opposition on its toes. I think the last time there was really anyone like that, it was Arturo Vidal, who always was at risk of picking up a yellow, but always was at risk of putting an opponent on their backside. Like everybody knew what Vidal was about. Everybody knew how he was going to play. And if Pavar is able to have that kind of impact, I think he's doing his job right there. Overall, defensively, I thought the team did really well. Now, I did get shakier as the game went on. Obviously, the induction of or the inclusion of Kylian Mbappe into the match changed things. And I think that the the return leg is going to be very interesting for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is we're probably going to see Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi all acting together in a desperation situation, they are going to need to come out and win the match. They're going to need to come out. And, and and if they want to have any chance of this, you know, great triad of superpowers coming together and actually winning something, they have to get past Bayern Munich. And right now, listen, I don't know what I'm going to pick for the match. In the first one, I picked the draw and it almost worked out that way. But I, I would not throw dirt on the grave of PSG just yet. I think Bayern Munich, while they have made some great progress, they're going to have to be even better the next time around. And I think PSG, we're going to learn everything we need to know about them in this next match. Are they just a collection of individuals who really don't care much about the team game these days? Or are they led by three terrific players, among many others, but those three get all the attention. Are they a group that's going to be able to finally show that they are a team and push through a very difficult situation? Uh, To me, (laughs) I honestly think this is going to be an excellent match, and we'll talk more about it as it gets closer, but I do think this is going to really set itself up to be a heavyweight battle. I don't know that Byron has enough attacking firepower at the top of its formation with Chupo at this point. It's not a knock on him. And again, we'll talk about him later, but 
I don't know that he's the guy that's going to get the job done in the situation. And I hope he is. I really do. Cause I don't think Thomas Muller is a good nine either. While I do want to see Muller in the lineup, I don't know if it's necessarily at that position. So for Byron to come out and win that next match, you're going to need superior efforts from players like Musiala, from Kingsley Coman, like we saw on Tuesday, or Serge Gnabry or Leroy Sané. And right now, Coman is the only one playing at that really top level. I think Musiala can get it back. I think Sané is always capable of breaking out of a slump. Uh, Gnabry can just as easily go from looking terrible to putting in a hat trick there's a lot of potential there, but this is going to be a situation where you're going to need that attack to step up. You're going to need Joshua Kimmich and Leon Gretzka to, to play like they did in the midfield and dominate that area. And you're going to need Matthijs Delict and Dio Opumakano to continue to make progress as a tandem and to be able to shut down three of the best attacking players in the world. And that's a lot to ask even on, on your home soil. So this is going to be a really intriguing matchup. I think Byron did the best it could in getting that 1-0 victory and getting the hell out of Paris. I think that was about as much as they were going to get. And I know some of the people in our BFW community are saying, like, Byron really need to get two or they need to get three. You're right. You're 100% right on that. It's not going to be easy with just a one-goal lead. Byron will be very susceptible to being overtaken. And how Nagelsmann approaches this match without Pavar, and depending on who else might not be available at that point. But you also could have, I guess, Sadio Mane uh, working his way back into form potentially for that last game. How he mixes his players up, what formation he uses, who is actually out there in the starting 11. It's all going to be a great study in who Nagelsmann is as a coach, who he is as a manager in that type of big game situation. Whatever he does, is going to be scrutinized like hell, either by us at BFW or by everyone else uh, out there on social media. Every fan will have an opinion on Nagelsmann. I've been pretty consistent with him. I think he's a brilliant young coach, great tactician. I think he tinkers too much. I think sometimes he's a little full of himself. I think he doesn't always relate to the players in the best way possible. I think his communication could could use some improvement. Um but he's a good coach. And I think that there's no way you can deny that he doesn't make decisions that everyone agrees with. They don't always work, but I do feel like at times, you know, he understands a situation and is able to adapt to it. There are some other times, however, that it looks like to me, he doesn't have a plan and just goes from match to match trying to figure out who's hot and who's not, what formation he should use versus what he thinks might work best or whatever. There are, are a lot of moving parts with Nagelsmann, but in the end, he is a good coach. He's someone that the club can continue to build with. But like anyone who has managed at Bayern Munich, whether it be Pep Guardiola, Hansi Flick, or whoever, you're going to be under the microscope. Every decision you make is going to be uh, really scrutinized. And I do think that, you know, that has a little bit of an effect on him as well. I think he does, for all of his good qualities, I think he probably does read what's what's said about, or read what's written about him, hear what's said about him. Uh, maybe not on this podcast, but probably more on the German language ones. Um, you know, and I think it does affect him at times. It, it is a grind. You know, there are a lot of people criticizing him day to day, and, and sometimes rightfully so. But he is the coach for Bayern Munich right now. He's the one that that needs the support right now. 
And I'm very interested to see what fans, what the reaction is from fans, depending on how this next leg works out. Um, If Byron were to somehow lose and fail to move on, I think there would be an incredibly large amount of heat headed toward Nagelsmann. It's just, I mean, I know it's the nature of the position that he has, but it appears he's got the talent to hang with PSG, that he's got the talent to be a big-time contender in the Champions League. I mean, it's there, but can he get it set up the right way and can he get it to work together? Those are the biggest challenges that he's going to face in that match. But from a strictly from a fan standpoint, if you were a neutral, you would love to just watch this match because I do feel like it's going to be two heavyweights just slugging it out. And if Bayern can absorb that early burst, which I think we're going to see from PSG, they should do well, but it's not going to be easy. As we're talking about Nagelsmann, I think one of the key things to look at, and this is you know really a, a divergent topic from the Champions League, is what works best, a back three or a back four for this team. And it's been a real sticking point at BFW over the years. There is a strong and vociferous anti-back three community. I've always kind of played down the middle on it because I feel like a coach needs to be able to do whatever he feels works best for his individual team. So if Nagelsmann thinks a back three is the way to go, I think you have to let him go that way. You can't force a back four you know, down his throat and make him use it just because it's what everyone is more comfortable with. And I think Nagelsmann is figuring out right now that his best formation starts with the back three because he's got solid center backs with various traits and skills that fit into it. Now, I think if you, you know, you put a gun to Matthijs Delic's head, he would tell you he prefers a back four. Now he won't say that on record, but I do think that's what he prefers. I think Upa Makano is flexible either way. And I think Benjamin Pavar is a fan of the back three because he's playing center back, which is where he wants to be. And I think those three have done really well. Would the dynamic change with Luca Hernandez? Probably, but I think Hernandez is good enough to where he could have fit in and done a great job as well. So this setup that he's using with this back three, I think it does work. When we look at where he's going with the wingbacks, it becomes really interesting because He's used Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry in those spots. King, I think Coman looks pretty seamless out there. Now, granted, we've seen Coman go up and down a little in the past as well, but he's got the requisite speed. He definitely has the skill. And he has shown the ability to make things happen from that position, so much so that you could argue that at this point his form is probably better at left back than Alfonso Davies. Now, Davies is really the trump card here because when Davies is on top of his game, he's the most dominant left back in the world at this point. But he has not been on his game this season. On the right side, you have Jao Cancelo, you have Josip Stanisic, and eventually you'll have Nusar rally back. Nagelsmann's going to have some some choices. He, is he going to go with Mezrawi, who was doing a nice job in the first half of the season before uh, he suffered a COVID-related ailment during the World Cup? Or will Nagelsmann continue to ride one of his dream players, Jao Cancelo, who has done fairly well so far, didn't look great against PSG, but has has been pretty solid otherwise. He could also move Cancelo to the left side. He could also drop Serge Gnabry into that wing back position. There are a lot of options 
that Nagelsmann has. But if you want to look at this particular roster, I do think, and I never thought I would really say this, that the back three is probably the best way for Nagelsmann to set up and, and work with the talent on this roster. Of course, having that back three does make it very difficult to play all of those attackers that you have when it comes to Musiala, Muller, Chupo, Sané, Coman, Gnabry. I mean, it, it's Mane. It, I don't know how he's going to make that all work either. But at this point, Nagelsmann has to trust his gut, go with what he thinks will work best, and set this team up for success the best way he knows how. Back three, back four, it doesn't really matter. But I do think he's looking at things and seeing uptick in performance. He's seeing that the club looks a little bit more fluid with the back three right now. And and maybe it's just an experiment for the rest of the season, or maybe it's something he wants to carry forward after this. But either way, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I do think the back three is the best way moving forward for this season, at least at this juncture for Bayern Munich. And one of those names that keeps popping up is Thomas Muller. And how does he fit? Where does he fit? What position can he play? When Muller, let's just be clear, when he goes out and he does play, it doesn't matter if Nagelsmann sets him up at the 9, the 10, or either wing. It has no bearing on how he plays because he just rom Deuters the entire way. He goes wherever he wants to go. It does cause the team to lose a little bit of its shape, but it also creates enough havoc that there's a lot more offense generated. And I think Muller is smart enough to know when he needs to, to stay in a shape, when he needs to get back in the position. But right now, I do, I honestly think that when he is on the pitch, Byron is a better side. I just don't know if the the current direction of the club is going to lead for him to be on the pitch that much the rest of this season. Uh, the club's committed to Musiala at the 10. And, you know, there are some alignments, even with the back three, where Nagelsmann could play to attacking midfielders. But it does come at the expense of players like Sané or Coman or Gnabry or Mane when he gets back healthy. I mean, Chupo seems to be the preferred number nine, but will he stay that way if Mane comes back? Would Nagelsmann consider putting Mane at the nine and backing him up with two tens like Muller and Musiala? I don't know, but I do think whatever he decides... This is going to have some kind of an effect on Mueller and what he'll be thinking about for his future. Does he want to continue on with this pathway forward that's really presents uncertain playing time? It almost definitely looks like he does not have a starting role under Nagelsmann moving forward, but it looks like the playing time will be not even all that substantial. What is it? What does all this do with players like Sané, Coman, and Gnabry, who I, I Listen, I don't include Mane in this because I think Sadio Mane has at least another year at Bayern Munich before there's any discussion that he would move on. But I do think players like Sané, Coman, or Canabri could look at their own situations, assess how much playing time they think they're going to get, and maybe start to explore something for their own futures. Uh, to me, it's a very fine line that Nagelsmann's going to have to walk. I don't know if he's really going to be able to manage this personnel situation the way it needs to be managed. Uh, I think ultimately one or two of these players is going to be extremely pissed off after this season. Um, you know, uh, you know. Of course, we could always see the, the you know tried and true Byron tradition of people getting hurt, therefore creating more playing time to be spread around. But 
it's not going to be easy. And I think Nagelsmann is really starting to see that while he has a ton of talent, all of it's at least a little bit flawed in some respects. And that's not abnormal. And it's not bad to say this. This is a, you know, this is a strong group of players, but none of them are perfect. And, you know, on any given day, one set of players or one combination of players is going to be far more effective than another. But there are going to be some players, I believe, looking at this. And I think Thomas Muller could be one of them, uh, you know, that they're going to be looking at their own futures and how they fit. To me, it's just, I don't know. it, And I can go by the eye test, right? I, I, there are, I'm sure, advanced analytics or statistics that will show you that one way or the other, Byron's either better with Muller or they're worse when he's on. Either way, I'm sure you could find the stats to to, to back both of those arguments. I just look at the eye test right now and I see that I think Byron looks more fluid and dangerous when he's on. But at the same time, like this is Nagelsmann's team. He needs to coach it the way that he needs to coach it. And that, you know, his own personal success will be gauged on how he manages this team. And if it's, if, you know, my career was on the line, I'd want to be calling those shots. So I know I could sleep at night saying I did everything I could and no one stood in my way. So I'm very interested to see how it plays out with Mueller. I do think that he has lost a bit of status on the team. And I think that, you know, that that definitely is something that represents a changing of the guard, a changing of generations. And it's something that not just the team or the club, but fans are going to have to get used to as well. Finally, the last thing we'll talk about, one of the stories that broke this week was that Eric Maxim Chupomoting was in agreement with Bayern Munich on a contract extension. And there was no financial details released. There were no details released. I mean, there were no definitive. It wasn't like a formal club announcement. It was, a, I believe, a build report that came out stating that the agreement was in place. I mean, if this was a, a talk show where you could call in, I would say to you, what do you think about this? Is Eric Maxim Chupo Moting the man to play the number nine from Bayern Munich moving forward the next couple of seasons? To me, the answer is no. I don't think he's dangerous enough. I don't think he'll be consistent enough. I think he is a terrific backup. And I think that is just a great role for him. Seems like he wants a little bit more than that now. It seems like Byron is trying to hedge its bets because in some respects, we see the stories that they'd love Marcus Rashford. We see the other stories that Harry Kane is the most appealing player to them. He's the most seamless fit. I mean, I don't know how attainable it is to get either of those two players, but we do know that if Byron really wants Chupo back, they can pay him what the, what he wants and that he will be here at Sabinerstrasse next season. I don't know if that's the right move, but I'm also at the point where I don't know what the right move is. I don't have a plan in place. I'm not Brazo. I don't have my PowerPoints fired up, ready to go try and convince Erling Haaland to leave Man City or Dusan Vlahovic to leave Juventus or even Harry Kane leave Tottenham. I just don't get the vibe that Bayern is ready to splurge on a big-name striker just yet unless they can get Harry Kane. I think if Kane were to present himself and say, I want to move to Bayern Munich, the Germans would find a way to get it done. But I don't know if there's any other player right now that they like enough to break their bank for. And I think that's the biggest thing. And if the next best option to Brazo and, and the executives is Chupo, I'm a little worried. I'll be honest. 
Um, and it's not a knock on him. I know it sounds terrible, but it's really not a knock on him. He is a fine player. He is good at what he does. But is he good enough to lead the attack for Bayern Munich? I don't think so. And and I think if the plan is to resign him as a starter, it's a mistake. If the, if the plan is to get him at an affordable deal where he can stay as the backup and be a good locker room guy, great. I'll back that 100%. But I don't think he's starting level number nine material for a club like Bayern Munich at this stage of his career. Just, I'm not seeing it. So for me, I, I'll take the extension if he's a backup. But no, I, I don't want to see it happen if the plan is to make him a starter. So that's all I have to say on that. I'm sure you guys have some thoughts as well. So please drop them in the comments. Hit me up on social media. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because I'm a little scared about that whole situation and what the plans really are. Because again, I don't see Harry Kane deciding to go to Germany at this point in his career, even if Byron loves him more than they love you know, anything else. It's just one of those pipe dream situations. And yeah, it would be awesome if it happens. I just, I can't see it. I, I can't wrap my head around the concept of Harry Kane leaving England right now. I just, I can't do it. The final thing we'll hit on is uh, just a little bit of a recap of The Last of Us. I've been watching that. This was, to me, the most disappointing episode. Uh, I think at the, you know, if we want to just skip through, like getting the backstory on what was going on, how the new characters, what the situation in Kansas City is, why everybody is at each other's throats, what was going on, how they all ended up in these particular situations. Um, I think we got all that. And that was good because I was worried there would just be this gap in in why this one group were chasing these two people and what was going on and why were they hiding. We got all that. So that was awesome. But at the same time, I feel like from the main character standpoint, Joel and Ellie, the plot stagnated. I didn't think there was really much going on with them other than they need to get the hell out of Kansas City, which sounds like, you know, maybe our guy, Philip Quinn, probably feels the same way, but um, at least I would. Being from Philadelphia these days, I want no parts of Kansas City, but I just got the impression that the story didn't make any major advancements. I mean, we did see this new kind of super infected being, which I'm sure was a a key part in the video game. Uh, And I'm sure that was one of the, uh, I'm sure that was a, a great part of the video game. I mean, I guess I should say that, you know, you, I, I'm sure as you're progressing through the game and you're killing the infected that now you, I guess they, listen, I'm not, I'm not a video game guy. I love them. I don't play them, but I love the concept of them because I used to play them. Right. And so I get it. And I'm sure I would be into it. And I've said it a million times. If I could trust myself to not go overboard and play video games, I would have a system, but I don't even want it in my house because I probably would like it. And then I'd do nothing but that. Anyway, uh, let me put that tangent away. They did find this new kind of super infected that is tougher to kill. And I think that will obviously play a, a bigger role in the coming episodes. But I did not like how this journey for Joel and Ellie has stagnated in Kansas City. I didn't think there was much plot development for them. If anything, we did learn a little bit more about Ellie and how that tough exterior is still really just protecting the little kid that's inside. So, you know, listen, of all the episodes, I thought that was the weakest. Um, You know, I would still probably give it a 7 out of 10 in watchability. I thought it was good, but, you know, I'd like to see a little more progress at this point. 
Again, if you have some thoughts on that, drop them in the comments or the weekend warm up column, which will be out on Friday, or even hit me up on social media. But that's all I got for this week. I want you guys to enjoy the weekend. Have a really just have a good time. I think there's not enough good times going around right now. I think, you know, everybody's weighed down with whatever is going on in their life, but take some time for yourself. Enjoy the footy match between Bayern Munich and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Have a couple of beers on me. I know I'm going to I'm going to try and find a way to sneak a few in. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get our tweet Meister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get I need no name at BFWINNN. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get all of our talented writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. I know that they appreciate every time you read their work and you drop comments or that you download their podcast and listen to them and give us some of your thoughts as well. So we all love that. We love the interaction. It's why we're all doing this. So have a great weekend and we'll see you next time.